Hello, everyone from the Jam Yearbook. I am Jim. And I'm Ramon. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's a cheap excuse to mention the Ramon straight out of the gate. I have to. I have to. How uh, about Matt? <laughs> this week, it's 1974. And according to my social media, we have been marked safe from both the Ramones and the cure. <laughs> and everyone listening, if you're listening for the first time, you'll see that we're here to take you on a trip to a different year of music each week and share our opinions on what we found. Matt, it was a whirlwind first 12 episodes of our show. We've tackled some big years already, and then we've made our piece in the previous cleanup episode. So we've cleaned the slate, and this week we're ready to go to version 1974. Are you ready for it? Yeah. You know, every version, my media reaction is always going to be, oh, this is going to be tough. But yeah, right. We're cramming for an oral report on a single year of music. That's going to be tough. We have hacked how to hang out, drink beers, and talk about music as middle-aged men. We just start a podcast. <laughs> and that's, I'm really thankful for that. You know, it's it's been a great excuse for cracking open a couple of beers and talking to a good friend. It, mm-hmm. And it's kind of been that, that really good outlet and learning how to put my thoughts into words because it's trickier than it sounds. Try writing a journal and actually you have to explore what why you're thinking a certain way. Yeah. Um, and that's what I've done. I, I've, I've realized that I've had, and I still do, I've got these hard opinions about music um, and I've had them for years, but now I'm asking myself why, mm-hmm. you know, and, and hopefully it'll, it'll get me to lighten up on some of these opinions. I'm still going to get my needles in there and my poking stick <laughs> because, because I think it's fun to get a reaction from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, or 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 make you go, Matt. Why Jeff say that? <laughs> <laughs> but overall, thanks for bringing us back to the seventies. No, that's great. You know, I think still, I've said this in previous episodes. I think I was saying it in the the you know first few. I, I'm still too polite with you. That will eventually change. We've gotten through you know ten episodes and a cleanup, or eleven and a cleanup. So going forward from here, maybe I will be a little more judgmental of your shitty music taste. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> I welcome it. All right. So 1974, I just thought I had these initial thoughts. It's full of music that I've enjoyed at different stages in my life. Not that I necessarily discovered then because I was only two, but I don't have really a lot of attachments to these bands now, or these, these people, it, you know, John Denver, Cat Stevens, Gordon Lightfoot. These were all guys I dug into as soon as I started playing music because I had an acoustic guitar, I could buy songbooks and learn how to play acoustic songs. So straight away, this was the first thing I recognized when I looked at 1974. No Ann Murray in that list? <laughs> Ann Murray was just a country music substitute for the Carpenters. Oh, hey, yeah, you know what? That's a good way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> so can, can we retroactively call this a proto-indie AM radio core or something Whoa. like that? <laughs> but yeah, the 70s were full of those singer-songwriters, and I've had that same attachment to them. And probably because when we were younger, we'd see some of these people or hear, you know, some of these songs on, you know, places like The Muppet Show. Yep. So that would, you know, when you're young, that's how you kind of get an, an attachment to it. Mm-hmm. If I had one critique of some of these performers, it's that the the vocal performance, it's just very matter of fact. It's very there's clear and of, clean, yeah. Yeah, there's not a lot of passion in the singing from like Gordon Lightfoot. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not they're not all like that and not all their songs, but very much it's just like blah blah blah. I woke up today. Yeah. It I, is. I ate an apple. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I I don't have a whole lot of attachment to this stuff, you know, lately. 
I think, Matt, there's one singer-songwriter who brought a song to 1974 that really kind of, you know, touched me even this past week preparing for the show. We talked in other episodes, and you know my father passed away in January, and I had not listened to the song Cats in the Cradle by Harry Chapin since that time, or maybe in many, many years. And as I was getting ready for 1974, I loaded up a playlist and I looked at this song and went, oh, shit. I've got to do this right now. And I I put it on, I hit play and it's, and it's still, he sings matter of factly and everything, but I think there's really something deeply connected in that song, uh, the the root of a father son relationship. And it definitely had me welled up. I was sitting in the chair. It did what it was supposed to do. And the tears were flowing as I was listening to it. So yeah, it's a deep song. It is. I, I think there's a lot that's almost, uh, if the right word is for some of these singer songwriters, it was pragmatic, yeah. you know, songwriting that they were doing and singing. Mm-hmm. But I do think that there are some songs that, you know, did carry over. And maybe from this year, I'll say that cats in the cradle is one that I will like for the rest of my life. And Hey, we talked about covering ugly kid Joe in our 1991 yeah, episode the and they yeah. had cats in the cradle, <laughs> but outside of, the singer songwriter stuff. There's a lot of really cool stuff going on in 1974. Even if it wasn't stuff that we had hang around with us for the rest of our life, we had Jackson five out there, grand funk railroad, average white band. They all had songs that I remember being kind of part of my childhood. Yeah. And that's a good thing to bring up about the seventies music in general. 74. It does. It's full of that great R and B and soul and funk, like the Commodores, uh, Rufus mm-hmm. parliament. And then the singer songwriters that we mentioned before, but then you still got uh, bands like queen, yeah. rolling stones, bad company, grand yeah. funk railroad. And this, I don't know if this is just looking back uh, retroactively, but all these different genres seem to be getting highlighted at one point. Yep. Or at least welcomed on the same stage. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I, I like that point. I think much of the R and B, the soul and funk, that was coming out during this time went on to become samples in popular hip hop culture, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Like a decade later. But since I brought up the average white band, let's take a moment to recognize some significant people who passed away in 1974. This is a sad story. I was unaware of the average white band knocked Linda Ronstadt off the number one spot with the song, pick up the pieces. Most anybody would know this song, if not by name, the minute you heard the opening riff to this song. It's been in so many films and and so much media. Well, they were in L.A. They had a really legit Quentin Tarantino film moment and mistook a bag of heroin for cocaine. Two of the guys in the band partook, and sadly, the drummer, Robbie McIntosh, died of an overdose. The other guy, I didn't get his name, but he actually lived. It was Cher who was with him that evening, keeping him awake until the ambulance arrives. So uh, an interesting note, you know, not death related, but it's a Scottish band. And I predict the audience will add this to the playlist when I put this on the the poll. And I can't believe it took me to this week to learn that average white bands from Scotland. Yeah. Just another Scottish band that was very successful in the States. Someone else that passed away, Nick Drake. He was an artist whose music got more popular after he died He suffered from depression and died of an overdose. It was never decided if it was accidental or suicide, but he was quite an enigma. He would not play live or give interviews. There's no known video footage of him apart from his childhood. Even though he didn't get to live to see his music gain success, he's frequently cited as an influence by artists like 
Robert Smith from The Cure. Yeah, got The Cure in. Kate Bush. Yeah, I'm aware of that. Paul Weller, Amy Mann, Beck, Robin Hitchcock, and oddly enough, The Black Crows. Oh, really? The Black yeah, Crows? Yeah. Well, you know, when we get to 72, maybe we'll have a, a thumb wrestle over uh, Pink Moon. <laughs> we'll have some kind of decide over there and yeah i know you i saw you getting that cure mentioned <laughs> <laughs> to continue our death talk cass elliott or mama cass when the mamas and the papas died from heart failure you asked if i wanted to talk about her passing my reply was uh well if i find something interesting and not to be cold but i don't know if there's any mamas and papas fans out there listening and i don't have a grasp on their impact i mean i know they had some some popular songs but i don't know the longevity of them they're a strange um, that, strange group of people in that band as well when you get into the history yeah, yeah but but then i read the room that she died in is the same room that keith moon died in four years later no they were both 32 whoa and the and the flat was owned by harry nilson wow that that i would say that qualifies as interesting that's an interesting story that is yeah 100 those coincidences are always interesting Okay, Matt, that concludes our death talk. Let's take us back to the music. <laughs> no, you. Okay. <laughs> Barry White. Yeah. Well, he's Barry White, baby. You're goddamn right. Barry White is one smooth mother father. Yeah, he is. And then we have Parliament, Billy Preston, more I discovered in the 90s, Graham Parsons, back to the singer-songwriters. Yeah, I still haven't had a moment with Parsons. Other than listening to the Grievous Angel album this week, mm -hmm. I feel like every few years I relearned that he was in the Birds and the Flying Burrito Brothers. Yeah, I, I agree with really that. Yeah. I, I never really listened to either of those at all, really. Maybe um, the Birds that, I heard more than anybody else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I don't know if I know one song by the Flying Burrito Brothers. Uh, it's more just trivia to me. Mm -hmm. But hey, I'm, he's the one making albums, not me. I'm yeah. sure people like his music. <laughs> this was a good album, Grievous Angel. Mm -hmm. And I'm in the same boat with you for Parliament Billy Preston as far as where I discovered them in my life. Preston's nothing for nothing. That's just got a great bounce. Yeah. And guess what? I listened to the album this week. <laughs> <laughs> the, the kids and me, it's great. I get the occasional Stevie Wonder vibe from it. It's definitely what I'm going to have to try to find on vinyl. If you watch the documentary Get Back featuring the Beatles recording their ill-fated Let It Be album, you see that when Billy Preston shows up, a different amount of respect enters the room. I think the Beatles knew they were sitting on a time bomb. Eventually it was going to blow and the world they created was going to come down. Preston's presence in the studio, I believe, was something they saw as key to being polite and staying on course. <laughs> they brought him into the fold and didn't want to fight in front of him. And when they did, he just sat back, cool as could be. He's a legend. Whether you know him or not, the album was a nice moment of recognition of his career without having to be a bit player, which he'd been in many previous bands in his life. That doc definitely gave me the impression that he saved that album. The writing and the relationships all seemed to kind of click when Billy was around. Mm -hmm. They played off what he was doing. It's like he rejuvenated yeah. what they were doing. And his, his youth and his positivity, it seemed infectious. Do you know he's the only person credited on a Beatles album that isn't Lennon McCartney, Harrison? Oh. And I'm that well, is why he served he's it. the fifth Beatle. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. The sixth. Isn't Martin the fifth? Well, yeah, of course. Mur or Murray Kay. Or... <laughs> Who the fuck's Murray Kay? <laughs> oh, uh, look it up. Look it up. I just remember an album. 
from my dad's collection or something. Okay. <laughs> Nothing we need to go down there. No. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned Parliament. Mm-hmm. Bootsy Collins. He is where I learned the concept of the one. Yeah. It's something they got from James Brown. Emphasize and come back to the one. It's the, the first beat of every measure. Riff and play around in between. Always come back to that one. It sounds like a simple concept, but when you're young, you need somebody pointing that out to you to make you realize that you don't have to be so dogmatic and boring as a musician. Mm-hmm. And emphasizing that one, it really puts that funk. It really puts that swing into what you're playing because it's a dynamics thing. Yeah, you sent me the YouTube video of Bootsy explaining this. It's really cool to hear him explain how landing that one the right way as kind of the stomp mm-hmm. every time it comes back around. And after I watched that video, I started thinking about Parliament songs and the beats and the way that they went. And it does come around <laughs> on that one. Yeah, it's it's it really cool. I think these years, 73 to 75, were really golden years for R&B and funk. It was so pure and authentic before white people and cocaine (laughs) turned it into disco. (laughs) Yeah, cocaine is a hell of a drug. Oh, yeah. It's a hell of a drug. (laughs) The the Jackson 5 had their final massive record, I think, with Dancing Machine. You can find this on YouTube. It's fun to go and watch. Michael's a little bit older, you know, as a teenager, taller. And he comes out and he does the robot in the middle of the performance. It was probably some of the first breakdancing moves that were shown on television. But I'm going to take us back to the singer-songwriters once more, and I know we'll get back to some more R&B and (laughs) funk. And I've got to stop and talk about Tom Waits and The Heart of Saturday Night. I've put this album on and listened to it from beginning to end as much as any album in my entire life. It's it's a fantastic record. Um, And if you listen to this on an actual stereo and just get that volume cranked up there, it it's the quality of the recording is such that it sounds like everybody's right in the room with you. Mm-hmm. It just sounds so real and un just unmessed with listening to heart of Saturday night, put me in the right frame of mind to accept Joni Mitchell's court and spark. She's always been a challenge for me. Uh-huh. I'm not sure where you've landed with her, but what made it a challenge is what makes that album so good. There's, there's really a lot going on, but there's so much subtlety and I never gave it the space before, and I only heard what was on the surface. Okay. So I was able to actually kind of deep listen and pick out different things that uh, I could connect with. Her lyrical phrasing and the vocal melodies are very complex to me. They're yeah. kind of the opposite of most singer-songwriters. It's not very, maybe the delivery is matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe not with her, because she does kind of like her voice kind of is a, li- a lilting voice a little bit. But it's pretty complex. To my ears. Yeah, I, 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 I am. You asked where I was. I, I'm still waiting to have my Joni Mitchell moment. You and I have talked about a right place in a right time. And, you know, for me, my time is yet to arrive. But I do have a lot of respect for her. There's so many great musicians that I've admired really love her. I, I think, to be honest, I haven't put the right time in yet. And it's something that I need to do. I've only ever heard really the popular songs that would be on the radio and, mm. you know, with artists you, doing that deep dive makes all the difference. Yeah. So are, are, can we go back to the funk now? And yeah, RV let's go back to the funk. Stuff? All right. So Stevie wonder fulfilling this is first finale. I can't believe I said that right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. This album is awesome. Yeah, it is. It's the album sandwiched 
between intervisions and songs in the key of life. Yep. I've never listened to this whole album before and I don't know why. I love the music and the artwork on those three albums. It's all very similar. The world would just be a better place if people shut up and listen to those three albums. <laughs> They're so awesome. I'm I'm actually really glad we got this album in 1974. It was definitely bookend by two other amazing albums. It's really fantastic. I did listen to this album years ago, but I think my brain just kind of forgot about it. And I mm. was just listening to songs in the key of life and inner visions. And when you brought it up this week, I went back and listened to it and each track I had that. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Moment that you have when it's something that you've, you've heard. Now I knew boogie on reggae woman was on this because that's a Vermont jam band favorite. You know, I've okay. seen everyone from local yokels at Nectars to fish covering it. Yeah. It's fun. It's the kind of song that just makes you want to get up and dance. It's got that fat Albert feel. <laughs> you know, don't do that voice anymore. No, no. we can't do, we can't do Bill Cosby anymore. We can't do Bill Cosby anymore. So I think that just about covers R and B and funk. I wanted to make sure we got that Stevie wonder in there. Um, so moving on to more rock, uh, mm-hmm. you had blue Swede. Oh yeah. With hook, hooked on a feeling. And I can't help but associate this song with reservoir dogs. <laughs> Every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, that that visual is right in my head. Yeah. And uh, who doesn't want to sing Uga Chaka? Uga Chaka. Well, here's the thing. That's our generation, but it's also featured in Guardians of the Galaxy. So That's right. that song is still moving forward in the spectrum of <laughs> yeah. the musical world. Yeah, it's yeah still hopefully there. it never goes away. Yeah, Hook on a Feeling is a great song. Okay, Matt, I've got to point out the fact that we have an Aerosmith album in 1974, and it's actually good. Stop the press. It's, it's actually good. <laughs> we shit on them a lot in later years, but the same old song and dance and train kept a roll in our classic era songs from them. Here's the thing. I thought I knew what was going on with Aerosmith in this album. And I wrote the script before I went and did my homework. And I wrote in the script that train kept a rolling off the album is live and that it's amazing. And that oh. Joe, and that Joe Perry's licks are incredible and tear up the whole song. And here's yep. something people need to know. The live sound is actually from George Harrison's concert for Bangladesh. <laughs> and it's two studio session players playing the lead guitar and not Joe Perry on that song. So we're not completely away from arrow shit. No, they had they had a producer that probably heard their arrangement and saw the potential in it and made it made a hit record out of it. Or you can't discount the fact that cocaine is a hell of a drug. Yeah. Or this is what you did in 1974 <laughs> yeah, or 1970s exactly. when you were ripping off 1950s blues rock songs. <laughs> yeah. But you're, you're right. These are peak Aerosmith years. Mm-hmm. So if anyone's wondering what our problem was was with Aerosmith, just go back and listen to some of the other versions. But this is where they're putting out really quality music. Yeah, it's a good album. Yep. And after all these years, I finally listened to Brian Johnson's band, Jordy, mm-hmm. the one he was in before ACDC. They have a version of House of the Rising Sun. I, that song is a little, it's tired for me. But they, they do this kind of this deep humming that does the background, the underlying melody that it it kind of it kind of freshens up the song for me. And it's kind of nice to not hear him using that ACDC howl. Mm-hmm. But he, do, he he breaks it out occasionally. And when he does, it's it's so great. 
Um, and uh, another song on there, Mercenary Man. I got, I really got Robert Plant vibes from him. Okay. But Jordy is definitely something to go back to. I, I really enjoyed that one. Remember when I told you Sam Fender was a Jordy in oh, yeah. the 2021 episode? Well, here you go. I never knew there was a band with the name, but Brian Johnson in this band makes perfect sense. They're Newcastle lads. It's like if we started a band where we grew up in Northern Vermont and called ourselves the Woodchucks, <laughs> you're, you're, you're Jordy <laughs> if you're from Newcastle. So, you know, something else that happened in 1974, and even though neither of us are dead guys, we know there's some listeners out there who enjoy them and put a track on our playlist. I thought I'd show some respect and call out the Grateful Dead from the Mars Hotel. I listened to a little bit of it this week, and it was what I expected. No epiphanies for me. But I've known Scarlet Begonias and Ship of Fools my entire life. I know that Loose Lucy is a fan favorite. Hey, guys, you know, I tried. I'll keep trying. <laughs> there, there are worse music avenues to go down than the Grateful Dead. Hey, this isn't the year to bring up Coldplay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I tried that album, too, because we we share that challenge with with the dead. But I feel like trying to connect with people that listen. Um and U.S. Blues is a damn, that's a pretty good song. It's mm -hmm. got a really good, catchy chorus. But that piano, it reminds me of Fats Waller, and it just kind of feels out of place. Like it's part in a bar, but part in a 20s speakeasy. Mm -hmm. um, it just, there's just that dichotomy there, and it just kind of leaves me uneasy because I want one thing, but they're giving me another. But And then I found this uh, quote from Jerry Garcia, and it, it pretty much sums it up. We're like licorice. Not everybody likes licorice, but the people who like licorice really like licorice. That's a great quote. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's, it's the, it speaks the truth. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned Scarlet Begonias. There's a hell of a funk song hiding in there. Okay. I never I, thought I, of it I like could, that. I'll have to go back and I mean, listen to it. Yeah. Me, me either. But just, I was listening to it and I'm like, Oh, there there's, a really interesting baseline you could do within that song. Yeah. Yeah. But I was, I was drunk when I was listening to it. So. <laughs> Third member kicking in. Third member influencing the show. <laughs> you know, a few more quick mentions from 1974 country music. You, you talked to me a little bit about Merle Haggard. I found, you know, Charlie Rich, I think is the guy's name. There yeah. seemed to be some creepy come back to my place for a drink and we can talk and then take your clothes <laughs> off songs yeah. on yep. these albums. But I think we both have to agree that Jolene by Dolly Parton is a top 10, maybe top five country song of all time. Oh yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Why Dolly had to write a song because someone was going to steal her man is beyond me. Cause that'd be one <laughs> foolish dude. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And also for country, uh, Waylon Jennings too. Oh yeah. Really the seventies are really they're prime years for me in country music oh big time me too i don't connect so much you know from the 80s on no until, until garth brooks <laughs> <laughs> but but here you know here we have sitting there i mean to me jolene would be just as important to talk about as the gambler you know but we're, we're still in the 70s or Folsom prison blues or you know this is in that class of country music when it comes oh, yeah. to these these classics and standards and it's why dolly parton is still considered today to be the persona of everything that's great in country music mm -hmm. yeah so not country music completely different yeah. is uh 
David Bowie's Diamond Dogs came out in 1974. This was his step out of the Ziggy Stardust persona as he was doing his transition to the Thin White Duke. It's not one of my favorites of his, but the title track and Rebel Rebel are two solid classic rock tunes. I've played Rebel Rebel in a few cover bands. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's definitely one of those songs I I can't connect with anymore. No, no. Just too too much. I've heard it too much. So my last mention is going to be Rush, their debut album. We've both discussed our challenges with Rush, but this is more interesting to me after seeing the documentary that came out a few years back about their career. Neil Peart is not playing drums on this album. It's another drummer that they had originally who wound up becoming ill and was unable to perform. Then Neil Peart joined the band. The song on this album, Working Man, is what made them famous. They literally were a small-time band that got some airplay out of Canada that hit the Detroit area. The automobile factory workers could relate to this song. It had all the hallmarks of early classic rock, big drum fills, guitar solos. Mm -hmm. The song itself, the narrative of it is you have a better life than you realize you have because you're a working man. And you can see how that sentiment would sink into the the hearts of the people that are there working in those automobile factory assembly lines going out to have a beer on a Friday night. Well, I listen to it, but I, I get like halfway three quarters way through and I'm like, I just don't, I just don't connect with it. Like but the whole album anyways, or working man itself. Um, All of it. Yeah. You know, the funny thing all is if it. you go and listen to working man, it has like five faults outros, like drum fill. Oh, really? Guitar build. <laughs> it's crazy. The whole thing's over the top, but I just think it's a really cool story of sociology, once again, of people relating to music. And that's why it became so popular. You and I grew up listening to Canadian rock and roll stations. We know what it's like to hear music come down over the border that we wouldn't have heard if we'd lived 100 miles south. Oh, yeah. Well, you said you were done with mentions. I'm not done. I got a few of my own. Uh Um, It it felt wrong to at least not bring up the Eagles on the border. It's not a great album. It's got a couple of their standards already gone and the best of my love. I'm surprised their version of old 55 didn't get more love on the charts, or I don't even know if they released it. Everyone's had their Eagles moment. And if you're like me, you drive them into the ground on your own. The dude does not abide with that. Comment of everyone <laughs> has their Eagles moments. Here's the thing about this album. And it's one of the reasons why I didn't originally bring it up. If they hadn't had hotel California and they stopped at this album, the Eagles wouldn't have been one of the biggest selling bands in the entire world. This album does not light the world on fire. It's okay. No, but I think most of this album is filler and and the hit songs on it are filler for the greatest hits albums. They're good already gone. I I learned to play that on the guitar back in the day. It's, it's an Eagles tune. You do, (laughs) you do, but yeah, I'm sorry. I just had to come to the defense of the dude because (laughs) no, 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 but it's one of those things because I'm sure like you've said, people wonder, oh, why didn't you talk about Rush? Well, there might be some people out there saying, well, why didn't you mention the Eagles? Yeah, that's you true. know, j- j- just to just to try to let people know we don't forget about these, but we're and, trying to talk. And hey, man, we're not agreeing <laughs> on it. You don't like that yeah. Rush album, and I'm not big on this yeah. Eagles album. <laughs> yeah, that's just oh, the no, way it is. I, 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 yeah, I'm not big on it either. But I mean, maybe maybe in the right frame of mind, you know, the right moment, I could reconnect with it. And that's how yeah. I am with the Rush album. You know, it's just, for some reason, it caught me at the right time. And after all these episodes where we've been like scratching our heads going, we still don't get Rush. I 
I suddenly had this one little brief moment walking down the road where I Anders, I get this song now. Oh, awesome. And yeah. Okay. So let's move on from the Eagles mm-hmm. and go into Queen. And it feels really wrong to only mention Queen in a passing fashion, like I did, you know, a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. They put out two albums of great material in 1974. Yeah, two albums. Um, and, and they're a band, their reputation just continues to grow. They're they're held up in the highest regards as far as you know rock bands go. I wish I had a grasp on how they were perceived back then, you know, because looking back, you know, they're legendary. But mm-hmm. you know, when they put out their second or their third album, how are how are they viewed? But Queen, they're always original. They're always giving you something unexpected. Stone Cold Crazy and Killer Queen, they're two of the best songs that they've ever had. No, we we can't we can't skip Queen. No, we can't skip Queen. No, that that has to be mentioned. Well, something else is very important over here other than Queen. It's music. It happens every year, Matt. Do you know what it is as an American? I, I'm, I'm learning about Eurovision. Yes. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like that specter that I hear about every so often, mm-hmm. but I never really dive into it because... The music sucks. <laughs> well, I never really dove into the music until recently. And uh, overall, yeah, I'll say it's not the best. <laughs> it's definitely not the best. But Eurovision has given us ABBA. Yes. Uh, they won uh, in 74 with Waterloo. Yep. I'd like to think they would have been successful without it. But it was obviously a great springboard. And also Olivia Newton-John performed on Eurovision in 74 with the song Long Live Love. Yeah, Matt, Eurovision's the real deal. It gets major news coverage over here. And to be honest, no matter how much the music sucks sometimes, it's the coming together of all the countries and cultures that make it really special. But it does come up quite often on the news in these programs, Waterloo, ABBA. And you know how once one program makes it really big with something, this launched ABBA's career. And every single year, there is always a comment in the show about who is going to be this year's ABBA. And every (laughs) single year, they're looking for this next band to come out. And at this point- Been waiting 50 years. Yeah, Waterloo's still the biggest (laughs) song to come from it, I think, every year. But, you know- there are other people that come into it. Celine Dion won it in 1988 for Switzerland. So, okay. How does that work? She's Canadian. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm just learning this. Is it more about the songwriters and then they find a performer that will give them the attention? Yes. Or a performer that just fits the song? Yes. I'm not really not sure. I'm sure there's back you know, agents talking and say, Oh, I got a singer for you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You're right about all of this. Okay. It's about the song in the country it originated from not the performer Katrina from Katrina and the waves is American, but she won for the UK back in the day. Yeah. Walking on on sunshine. Yeah. That's the same one. Yeah. (laughs) Most of the time the artists are representing their home country, but there have been definite moments that ringers have been brought in. Yeah. So that's Eurovision for you. That's Eurovision. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it people have Eurovision parties over here. It's common for you know groups of like a Super Bowl party. Do they cosplay? They do and a little people, bit people or it, it the drinking games are part of it. 
it's just oh, it's a people big just look for an excuse for that though. yeah but it's a big saturday <laughs> night people gather around the television they some people cosplay some people have drinking games it's it's a big event hey i'm all up for a party yeah you know what you talk no about not liking award shows this is interesting because it's a competition it's not an award show so you're not watching the yeah maybe there's all those backroom deals of who's going to come out and sing and the ringers come in but at the same time it's live there's audience voting and judge voting. So does this just take place over one day or one night? One what? night. It, it, every country has their competition to be. It's, oh, dude, it's, they have their it's own qualifiers. It is sport of music <laughs> where the UK will have qualifiers coming together. And now that's not national TV here. It kind of gets there in, in different ways. But then once that song is chosen, they go to face the other country and yeah that's wow. where eurovision and they have like alternating hosts no countries, i, I don't assume or... oh yeah the winning country gets to host the next year oh okay yeah so this year actually ukraine won oh yeah so ukraine won this year uk came in second because of the war in ukraine they're in talks right now to have eurovision in the uk because of second place and it being a safer place to have it thanks putin no, no kidding king douche canoe <laughs> all right matt i think it's time we move on to our five i think we got here a little quickly this week but it feels like it yeah there's a lot in 1974 i still feel good that we talked about so if, if this episode's a little shorter and you haven't fallen asleep by now we hope you hung around for our five songs <laughs> Uh, All right. Well, you chose 74. That means I go first. Okay. My five. Did I mention Train Kept the Rolling by Aerosmith earlier already? Hey, what's this shit? (laughs) (laughs) What is this? It's an honorable mention from earlier in the show. Okay. 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 (laughs) It's it's one of my favorite Aerosmith songs. I'm just going to say quickly. It's one of the best two-step bar band dancing songs you'll ever find from the 70s. It's great for that. Okay. And a little bit of air guitar in the middle. So, but <laughs> I'm going to start with Barry White. The first, the last, my everything. Yeah. yeah. Here is a funny Glasgow karaoke story coming for you. Matt, do you think I sound like Barry White? <laughs> no, no, not at all. So, One night when I was in Glasgow, when I just moved here, 2012, I was singing different songs. Nobody else was up singing. And I came across Barry White's The First, The Last, My Everything. And I thought, fuck it. I'm going to sing it. I don't give a shit. Nobody was paying attention. (laughs) And I never sang the song in my entire life. And so I sang the song karaoke style and, you know, went on to something else. And other people finally got up and people started singing and the night went on. And as the end of the night rolled around, one of the barmaids came around to me and was like, can you sing that Barry White song again? That was great. (laughs) (laughs) I I was like, really? Out of everything in my entire life that I've performed and sang, this may be one of the very few times somebody's come back and been like, can you do that again? And it was a Barry White song. (laughs) So ladies and gentlemen, yeah, I do not sound like Barry White. I guess I do sing maybe with a baritone voice, but I'm not, not a bass. <laughs> That's yeah. at all. 
So anyways, Barry White, it's a great song. It's, yeah, it is. there's something about it. I love these seventies R&B tunes that have the big full string sections that oh, are yeah, similar the love, the to orchestra. Yeah. Similar to the 1950s, 1940s orchestras backing it up the strings. It, it's awesome. And I couldn't have this playlist without Barry White from 1974. So that's my first song. What is your first song? I could have three different lists this time for 74. Yeah. I could have my singer songwriter list. Mm-hmm. I could have my glam list. I could have my R&B and funk list. But since I can't do that, I'll just whip out the old honorable mention of Aerosmith and same old song and dance. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. You just gave me shit for bringing that. Yeah. But those were the two songs that we brought from yeah, that album they were. the show. They were. They're not good. They're not going on the on the playlist, but they're really good songs. They're I think before we did this show, we had these blinders on where we're not going to see Aerosmith. We're not going to see Aerosmith. We're not going to see Aerosmith. Oh, yeah. And then after I'd kind of looked through the whole year, I realized, wait a minute, this is here. And I had yeah. to recognize it. So, yeah, and it will happen out. in some more years than 1970s. Oh, yeah. yeah. Good. Good, I'm good start. honorable mention. Let's get your first good song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my first one. Uh, we're gonna go with Kiss, Going Blind. Let's everybody all at once. Let's get this big collective Gene Simmons's creepy groan <laughs> out of our system. Let's get it out of the way. But '74, it was the debut of Kiss. They mm-hmm. put out two albums. Their first two, Kiss and Hotter Than Hell. And Hotter Than Hell is where uh, Going Blind comes from. I did think about having one from each, but I got to choose. I think I would have regrets regardless of which one I went with for this list. I don't think uh, Gene Simmons gets enough credit for his bass playing. Mm -hmm. And he was definitely one of the influences in me picking one up. And don't think 2022 Gene Simmons. Put yourself in the shoes of a kid in the 70s. This song's got a great bass line. And if you can get past the cringy at times lyrics, yeah, I know. Um, it's, It's a really fun song to sing. And I'll always go to my grave thinking Ace Frehley is one of the coolest guitarists ever. You know, he's got his tropes like every guitarist falls into, but mm-hmm. whatever, whatever he does, it's uh, it's always cool to me. Yeah, I agree with you. you. I think that Gene Simmons is, there are what I call kind of like working man bass players, mm-hmm. and that's what he is. And the flashy show-off bass players don't respect the working man bass players. The guy no, Gene up- doesn't just stick on the root note. No, he doesn't. No, but he he holds very cool, still kind of simple grooves, mm-hmm. but the but the melodic quality of his grooves are original to the rock songs that they're playing. Yeah. And the song is shaped oftentimes like this going blind around the bass groove that Gene Simmons is laying mm-hmm. down first. So the, the really the rhythm part. section of Kiss is all together where the a lot of their music starts even strutter which i thought was the song you'd bring but that's the popular song so maybe the it audience would pick be. that i think yep. the audience might pick strutter but that you know the baseline to that has that same kind of like it, it, the, the emphasis on the notes are just really solid in there and yeah as a bass player I, we talked about nirvana in the 1991 episode and a lot of people not chris Novoselic for not being a great bass player but I think oh, he holds yeah. the grooves with the drumming that Dave Grohl does, just as Peter Chris and Gene Simmons does in Early Kiss, that they build the rock songs off of. Yeah, yep. it all starts with the rhythm section. 
Yeah. I just complimented Kiss a lot more than you expected me to. I I, I really did. Because really, especially with the rhythm section, uh, people really do like to tear Peter Chris down. He does what's right for the band. Uh, Yeah. 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 And and he he does. He does what he knows how to do. Right. Mm -hmm. He's a drummer. Yep. All right. So, Jim, take us away to your number two. My number two is going to be Graham Parsons. We talked about him earlier. He had the album Grievous Angel. You talked about listening to that this week and how he was in the birds and flying burritos. I love this song. It's uh, it's such a special sound. Emmylou Harris sings a lot of harmony with him on this album. It's almost a duet. It's so close to being considered a yeah. duet, in my opinion, because it. I don't think their voices ever drop away from one another throughout the song. No, and I think the more popular version is the Nazareth. And while I do like that version, but here you do. You got that, the man and the woman singing. So I get what you mean about saying it's it's a duet. I do think that if you were, you know, a, a guy or a girl, man or a woman, sitting and listening to this song, you would hear it from the perspective of the voice you wanted to dominate the song. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily a Graham Parsons song, any more than it is an Emmylou Harris song. And Emmylou Harris goes on to have a fantastic country career. She's a great singer. And I love hearing her on this album. I think if we dig deeper, we'll find out she's going to be on these James Taylor and Neil Young albums and out there really kind of complimenting a lot of these singer songwriters. But this is where I feel like when you listen to it and not to knock Graham Parsons and his songwriting and the rest of the album, but this song wouldn't be the same if she wasn't singing that harmony duet with him throughout it. So that's my number two. And when we get to 1973, we'll have a pretty interesting story about Graham Parsons death. Oh yeah. Okay. And the Joshua tree. I I will look forward to that. All right. All right, Matt, that's enough for me with Graham Parsons. Uh, What's your number two for 1974? Uh, My number two, uh, during the cleanup, I made sure everyone knew how awesome I thought Joan Jett was. Mm-hmm. So if I say that about Joan Jett, I have to repeat my stuff about Susie Quattro. I'm bringing Susie Quattro's The Wild One. The only difference is Susie plays bass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I didn't add her here, I don't know if she would have gotten the votes in a poll. Not that it's a high honor, but she deserves to be there and I want to hear her. There. It's one of those songs that I think people would know if they'd heard it. And you talk about whether they forget people would about go it and listen to it or not, you know, from yeah. seeing it in the poll. Because I, the minute I went and listened to this, not recognizing it by sight, I was like, oh, I know this song well. Yeah. It's- <laughs> yeah. And it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's awesome. She's a trailblazer. And that's exactly my point with the poll. I, I want to hear Susie Quattro on. Mm-hmm. So I could have gone Queen, but I think Queen would be a shoe in on a pole if you were, you know, to put Queen and Susie Quattro side by side. Yep. Um, as far as votes, and I, I, this is a great song by Susie Quattro, "The Wild One." Well, this is a point that we should tell the audience if they've made it this far into the episode. We put songs on the poll that we want to be on the playlist. (laughs) So we're not picking the most popular songs on this show kind of on purpose because we get to deep dive and pick other stuff. But we know if we put Smells Like Teen Spirit on the 1991 playlist choice, that's going to fly. It's Because it needs to be on there. Yeah. And then what? What would we put on the poll? Exactly. I guess we could go the opposite way 
pick, we could pick the hits and then put, you know, B-sides or rarities on the poll. And then nobody would pay that attention could kind to of be, us. Yeah, yeah, but that could be kind of interesting to see what other people would think is a cool song off the album other than a, a hit. Well, my whole point of bringing this up is to encourage the audience to add their own songs. Yes, we, please, we are please. putting songs up there that we know will get chosen. And yes. yeah, so we're not manipulating any of the vote. However, we are making sure that Aerosmith does not wind up on that list. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's not true. Okay. Uh, we'll break that eventually. Oh, yeah. We got a it's couple of mentions here. It, it, it will happen. <laughs> All right, Jim, uh, let's get back to the list. Uh, you're number three. My number three, I'm going to pick a band we already talked about. That is Parliament. Up for the Downstroke. This is a great song. I love Parliament. I love funk. I love Bootsy Collins. You spoke earlier about the, you know, what he said about coming in on the one, the YouTube video that I enjoyed watching him. If anybody doesn't know who Bootsy Collins is, but you happen to know D Light Groove is in the heart. He's a trailblazing funk bass player. And this was him coming back to working with George Clinton after they'd actually separated for a couple of years. Now you've probably heard of Parliament and I think we talked about Funkadelic in the 1971 episode, the very first. Yeah. So you now see other albums that come out that are Parliament Funkadelic. And this was really cool. George Clinton had a couple of different bands that he toyed with, with different sounds. And Funkadelic was actually more rock based. And Mm -hmm. Parliament was supposed to be more real R&B, deep blues funk based. Eventually it becomes Parliament Funkadelic and that's the way the world works. But (laughs) yeah, this album is great. And this song, I think really, there's another song coming up in the next year or two that was their biggest seller, but this was their start of ascension of greatness. And I think the whole Parliament Funkadelic thing, I think that's where they get the whole mothership thing, you know, where it's, it, they, they want it to be this conglomerate of great people getting attention and yeah. uh, making their way in music yeah. the, on their own. The mothership. Feet. Can you imagine in 1974 smoking a big fat joint and being at a show and watching a spaceship come down and the band gets out of it and plays a set and then they all wave goodbye mm. and they get on it and it takes back off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I imagine if you did that on acid. Well, that, actually, that's probably what I should have said. Yeah, it, you would have just been dancing if you'd been smoking a joint. <laughs> All right. So yeah, so that's, that's, that's all I've got for you on parliament. I think we'll hear a little bit more from them in a couple of years coming up, but I had to put this song on the playlist because I don't think it would be recognized by the audience. And it's a great song. Awesome. So my number three, I am going to go with Slade and how does it feel? Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to be able to talk about Slade like kiss. They had two albums in 74 Mm -hmm. old new borrowed and blue and this uh how does it feel comes off slate and flame i never knew slate and flame was a soundtrack uh to a movie that they were in i didn't either until right now you tell me that (laughs) i started it last night on youtube i'm halfway through it i'll probably finish it tonight so thank you youtube (laughs) i had i had a lot of fun reconnecting with slate this week every song slate does it's all out Mm -hmm. even the mellower ones like this I don't, I don't think you can contain Naughty Holder's voice. It's so big and powerful. It's got a great, awesome melody. It's a great sing-along song. You know, today, walking into work, I decided 
I should listen to some of Matt's choices that I haven't heard. <laughs> and I put this on <laughs> and it's, hey, it's a 30 minute walk. I got plenty of time to listen and re-listen yep. if I need to. But as I was walking into work and listening to it, I realized, wait a minute, this is a really fucking good song. I've never heard this before. I really like this. And then I realized that having come over here, my real exposure to Slade has been either their Christmas song or Come On, Feel the Noise. Oh, yeah. And I think that my brain had this judgment that that's all I was ever going to hear from a Slade album. But there are a lot of people my age, your age over here, older than us that talked to me about Slade and people back in the seventies who might've been there at that time. And they love them. And I would just kind of nod and be like, okay, but I wasn't really interested until today. And I listened to this song and I was really kind of, you know, set set back by it. It's a a great song, Matt, and great choice for the show. Yeah. One of those choices that's just like picking, picking a pure gold. So thank you. See, it's not just me. Everybody go out there and listen to Slade. (laughs) (laughs) It's better than you think it is. It is. It's so much better. So uh, that's my third. On to your fourth. My fourth is we're going to go back to Billy Preston. And you already mentioned the song earlier in the show. You you stole it from me, (laughs) asshole, Matt. (laughs) Nothing from nothing. Guess what, people? Matt told you it's got a great bounce to it. (laughs) Yeah. It's, It's a great song. It's so much fun. The the piano playing in it, and I'm sure in everything he does on keys, it's just phenomenal work. Oh yeah. I I agree with you. You know, I listened to the album outside of this, some of the Stevie Wonder feel, but I do think that this song has its own sound. And it's cool to hear Billy Preston's sound after he spent so many years working and backing up and really, I want to use the term like leveling up other artists Mm. out there and making them better. And then kind of come out. I I don't think we got a whole lot more from Billy Preston after this. And yeah, I don't know if we did. Yeah. Maybe we'll find out in future years. Maybe there's another song out there that we didn't realize was Billy Preston. Yeah, maybe, but maybe. And I almost wrote this song off when I, when i saw it and then i went and listened to it i'm like oh, whoa 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 whoa! don't write this song off this thing's yeah. awesome it is it's a great song so i have no problem bringing the fifth or sixth member of the beatles <laughs> yeah to the show have you seen this video yet go watch go watch on youtube and watch this video if you if it doesn't make you smile i don't know what will you got a cold dead heart the video for the song for yeah nothing for nothing i've not watched it yet Oh, yeah, just watch it. It's really fun. Okay, okay, I'll do that. So, yeah, that's my number four. And you are on to your number four. What's it going to be? My number four. What's it going to be? It's going to be more glam. Oh, yeah. More glam. We're going to go with Ballroom Blitz by Sweet. Nice. Oh, man. That train beat, that skiffle beat that's on the drums, boy, Mm -hmm. when it's in a rock song, it just, it kind of just grabs me. And that's such a great guitar riff. The singing and the screaming, every everything, every second of the song, it's great. And a little trivia fun fact, Ballroom Blitz and Susie Quattro's The Wild One, uh-huh. they were both written by the same two people, Mike Chapman and Nikki Chin. Okay. I guess they were good glam songwriters. All right, Ballroom Blitz, that's my number four. Number four. How, how are you going to end your, your, your five, Jim? 
Well, I'm going to go back to Tom Waits. And I have to go with the song, The Heart of Saturday Night. There are a lot of great songs on this album, and it's really hard for me to just pick one. But if I need to make sure one of my favorite songs of all time winds up on the playlist, I'm going to pick it. The Heart of Saturday Night, how I discovered it, is really kind of funny. You know, Tom Waits' music after the late 1970s and into the 80s gets a little stranger and odder. The Mm. instrumentation, the sounds. I don't necessarily know if his songwriting changes as much, but the recording is for, I would say, discerning ears, if that's the right way to say it. it, it, It's very experimental. Yeah, it has its listeners, but I never knew any of this previous music really existed. So in 1995, 1996, I'm on a TV show, a public access show, Wayne's World in Bennington, (laughs) Vermont. And this guy's playing before my band goes on. This guy, Steve Flynn, great musician. And he plays this song. I had never heard this song before or really not really recognized it. And I thought it was an original at first. And I was sitting there watching him on the monitor going, my goodness, what is this? This is incredible. (laughs) And as the night progressed through conversation with people, I found out that it was Tom Waits. And I thought, well, this is impossible. I've heard Tom Waits and he does not write music like this. (laughs) And I went and found the album. And it's just, it's such a great song about your you finished your work week, you know, you think about Tom Waits, his age at that time, you're in your early twenties and you're going out to find out what's happening on a Saturday night. You go home, you shave, you put on your good clothes, you get in your car, you go down the street and you try to find out what's going on on a Saturday night in the town that you live in, you know, having grown up in a small town, and lived in, you know, really kind of small towns or smaller cities in my entire life. It's something I can definitely understand why it's a real human moment wrapped mm-hmm. up in a song. And Tom Waits does a great job with that here. Good choice. That's a really good song. Uh, th- this is an album that uh, I, I'm, I'm a new listener to, to this album, you know, within the last probably like five years. Mm-hmm. But I definitely got a big respect for this album. It's, yeah. And that's a beautiful song. Yeah. Great. Happy to share it. So that's my number five. I am done with 1974. Finish us off, Matt. What is your number five? I'm going to wrap up my five with Joe Cocker and You Are So Beautiful. Co-written by Billy Preston. Billy Preston. Yeah. It's all, it's all connected this week. It is. <laughs> His original, that keyboard solo, it's, I, I think, I I feel like somebody's playing a video game in the middle of the song. It's got this really 8-bit sound. But I'm bringing the Joe Cocker version to the playlist. The passion he sings with, it's it's unmatched. This is mine and Kim's wedding song, so of course it's special to me. Everyone has to know the song. And if you're tired of it, I don't care. It's special to me, so it's on the list. Yeah, it's the same verse over and over, but man, I swear he's crying by the end of it when he's singing it. Oh yeah, uh, he, he definitely has that. Oh my God. Like- the man was born to perform. Yeah. That's really nice that Kim thought you were so beautiful. It was more me. I'm still <laughs> waiting for her to choose a song for me. <laughs> okay, there you go. That's a great wedding song. That's a great first dance song. And, and it's short. You don't have to be up there long. <laughs> but, but it's nice to have that type of moment. And thank you for sharing that with us in the show. That's, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. 
Hey, we finally have a song on the show that Matt chose that Kim doesn't think is weird. <laughs> Probably a lot of people have that same feeling, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. That's 1974 all wrapped up nice in a bow. That wasn't that much work, actually. No, it wasn't. It was it was a good year, kind of. I think there was just yeah, was. enough for us to dive into without yep. having to go too deep. Yeah, and there's there's always going to be stuff we miss, and we just we're learning not to stress about it. No, if somebody's shaking their fist at us, tough shit. We there's only so much <laughs> exactly. we can do to get a show to you every single week. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, somebody else take the turn of old man yelling at clouds. Yeah, there we go. There <laughs> I don't feel go. like doing that this week. <laughs> So then I chose 1974. We are now at a point where we are going to choose the show that will come the following week. So where are we going after 1974? Oh, we're going to go to 2016. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. And not because I wanted it in the poll, that 91 one. <laughs> I'm just going to take it now. Now that I've got my choice back. Screw you guys. Um, I'm taking 2016. Yeah, exactly. I swear I almost got a spit take out of you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, it's more of a coincidental pick because the, the more you look at it, and I look at it all the years on the timeline, right? And I'm looking mm-hmm. at, um, I want to keep kind of like, a decent gap in between the years that we've selected and really almost half of our lives is in the two thousands. So we definitely have to start hitting some of those years. I don't think we want to end up, you know, the last dozen shows or so, Oh my God, we got to do 2020, 2018, 2022, you know, so, so we've been back to the seventies. Let's get some uh, sonic whiplash and we're going to go to 2016. That sounds good Um, to me. Definitely gonna have to hit up my kids for some pointers on <laughs> what was out, <laughs> what was out, because <laughs> I definitely was probably in a rut. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna have to figure out where I was in 2016 and what I was listening to. That'll be interesting to me. I think I was a retail manager in a store with yep. Muzak playing all day long. Oh, oh, oh so my god! I don't think I had much control over some of the music that I was listening to. Well, it was kind of like karaoke. Bad, bad karaoke. <laughs> like, there's like really bad karaoke. Yeah. Yeah. I was doing a lot of traveling in 2016. So sometimes oh, that is a time when you're, you know, really digging in and trying to find stuff to listen to. So hopefully that's what I'll find. Yep. And before we leave, we need to make sure that we thank everybody for tuning in um, and participating on the Facebook page. Yep. Uh, if, if you haven't yet, uh, find us on Facebook. We're pretty yep. easy to find under the Jam Yearbook. Go in there and uh, participate in our polls. Uh, feel free to add a song to the poll. Yeah. Uh, ask us a question. Uh, we'll, we, we won't be dicks when we answer it. And one last thanks we need to give, Matt, is to my friend Len Kenyon, who did the artwork that's now represented for our podcast on all the profile settings out there, Spotify, Apple, Anchor, wherever we are broadcasting to you from. So just go to the Facebook page, Spotify, anywhere you, you find us. And that artwork, uh, thank you, Lenny. It's great. We love it. Yep. I use it for my uh, profile pic. We both are uh, now. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's identifiable, right? It is. It's, it's who <laughs> we are right really now. Appreciate it. <laughs> we really appreciate it. All right, Matt, it's your turn to wrap it up this week. I wrapped it up last week. All right. I'm going to wrap it up by saying thank you. Keep listening. Uh, tell a friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, rate and review and we will see you next time in 2016 but until then goodbye from 1974 in the jam yearbook peace love and podcast